Hey everyone, this is Brother Wayne Clemens. I just want to thank you for tuning in with us today and being part of the worship experience here at Potter's Hope. Also, I want to tell you that there's several different venues that you'll be able to get the message in the entirety if you'd like. They're either by podcast or either going to pottershope.com where you'll also be able to listen and watch uh, for any of those times. But also, I want to encourage you to be with us in person, 8.30 Central Time at Exit 124, right there at White Mills and the Eastview Exit right off the Western Kentucky Parkway. And then also on campus, Sunday mornings here at 135 Commerce Drive uh, at 10.30. Also, our Wednesday night services at 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. But anyway, God bless you. I hope this message just um, in this time of encouragement finds you doing awesome. Be encouraged and know that Jesus loves you. God bless. I want to be real with you tonight. And uh, I want you to open up your ears and let your heart speak to you. And it's nothing that we've done or nothing that we're going to do except give God all the credit. From the very time I was a young boy growing up, there's a lot of things in life that's just life. And uh, you grow. You grow through, I think you grow through some of your experiences, whether it's good or bad. And you got to make a choice. And tonight, when we speak, it's going to be a choice that everyone have an opportunity to make. But as we go through this, uh, it won't be long, it'll be short, but uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, hide us behind the cross, and Lord, let all things spoken to be for the glory of your kingdom, to help someone And help us, Lord, as we go our way to help some others. We pray, Lord, that you just put your sweet spirit into our heart and into our minds. And Lord, help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name. Eric, go ahead and uh, you can put the first slide up, please. Thank you. Yeah. If y'all don't mind, you can uh, stand and... uh, as we read God's word. Before we start, too, it's his birthday today, so if you would. <laughs> 29 and rising. Okay, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God's word says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, Jesus added, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 and 33, Paul had this to say about marriage. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Eric, if you don't mind, go ahead and go to slide five. When we first got married, we didn't understand marriage this way. Marriage truly was a great mystery to us. We were married at the Clarkson Nazarene Church on September 22nd, 
1978. We walked into the church single and very independent, carrying an invisible box marked life. And inside each of our boxes showing itself big in our lives was the legacy our parents had passed down to us, just as their parents had passed down to them. We're not talking about anything you can find in a will, like property or jewelry, and we're not talking about genetics, like the color of one's eyes, the color of one's hair, or the color of one's skin. Slide six, the next slide, Eric. What we're really talking about when we refer to the word legacy this evening are things like faith, hope, love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, courage, humility. What about truth, integrity, and family traditions like going to church, praying, and reading God's word together, and just getting together for family celebrations throughout the year, which are all good. But how many of you know that you can inherit some really bad things. Go to the next slide. Like fear, anger, anxiety, bad character, spiritual ignorance, broken families, condemnation, indifference, addictions, confusion, despair, pride, lies, and this list can go on and on. Unfortunately, our life box held more of this second list than it did the first. But this is life, as Roger said earlier. Some of the things we inherit from our parents are good, and some of the things are not good. They're evil. But we can choose today to take the evil things out of our life, and we can choose today to put some good things in so that we can pass on a legacy of faith on to the next generation that is good and pleasing to the Lord. Everyone here tonight will leave some kind of legacy. Think about that. What kind of legacy will you leave behind? However, at the time, we didn't realize any of this. We were young. I was 18 and she was 16 and we were in love and we just knew the other person was going to make us the happiest person in the world. So we said our vows to each other in front of God and in front of our family and our friends, we made a promise to each other. We made a binding lifelong covenant to each other. We just didn't know what it meant at that time, you see. We walked into the church single, but we walked out married, promising that we would stay together for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. We made a promise according to God's holy ordinance, and we pledged our faith to each other. Today is June the 9th, 2021, and more than 42 years have passed, and we are still together. and loving every minute of it. Over the years, we witnessed many couples exchange the same marriage vows as we did. But most unfortunately, they are no longer together. But we still are. 
So why are we still together? Our theme for tonight is what binds us together. What did we put into our life box that held enough power and wisdom to bind us together for all these years and what makes us to determine to stay together? You can do better than that. <laughs> you can do better than that. <laughs> yes, the answer to that question is Jesus. A few years before we started seeing each other, we each accepted Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And I would love to stand here and tell you that we've never had any problems. But that's not what happened, is it, babe? And I'm sure we grieved the Holy Spirit a lot. And I'm sure we grieved our daughters a lot. You see, marriage has a way of revealing that you are not the perfect person you thought you were. And life is not all about getting what you want all of the time. Listen to what we are saying. You can fool a lot of people in the world, but it's really hard to fool your spouse and you will never ever fool God there were some things we needed to take out of our life box Eric moved to, to the next slide some things we needed to take out like pride self-centeredness and divorce and then some things we needed to put in like humility gentleness kindness and patience having been saved we did have a good start but you have to remember that we were very young in the early part of our marriage. And you need to understand that we were both raised with an angry, abusive, alcoholic father. So for us to become one with this kind of legacy and spiritual immaturity, it was going to take a miracle. Eric, go ahead and move to the next slide. Before we talk about the miracle, I'd like to read the beginning of a poem that hangs on a Mennonite neighbor's wall so that you can understand the legacy passed down to us was a very dangerous and hurtful one that held the potential to destroy our marriage. It's called Children Learn What They Live. If children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with fear, they learn to be nervous. If children live with pity, they learn to feel sorry for themselves. If children live with ridicule, they learn to feel shy. If children live with jealousy, they learn to feel envy. If children live with shame, they learn to feel guilty. So you can see, we had some major problems. Problems we didn't think we had personally. But we sure did know how to point our finger at the other person it was our duty, we thought, to, to make sure the other person knew just how messed up he or she was. And as long as we kept imitating our earthly father's behavior instead of imitating our heavenly father, things just kept getting worse for us. But isn't that what we signed up for when, you, when we got married? That's what we signed up for. Isn't that what you sign up for when you get married? Think about it. 
Remember your vows for better, for worse. This was worse, and we couldn't fix it. There was no human solution to our problem, but there was a supernatural solution, and his name is Jesus. And Eric, you can pull that slide up. Before we were married, we invited Jesus into our hearts. But now that we were married, we failed to invite him into our marriage. So we had the foundation. We just didn't know how to build on it. We didn't see Jesus in the marriage of our parents. It wasn't in our life box. But the word divorce was. Thank God that Jesus is the great physician. And he knew how messed up we were. He knew our hearts. And I believed with all my heart that he put us together with a purpose and a plan in mind to change the legacy that we would pass down to our children. And the more we prayed and we read God's word, and even though we were doing it separately at first, God began to do a work in each one of us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. During this season of our life, we learn very quickly that it's not just compatibility that determines a great marriage. It's how you handle one another's sins. Next slide. Romans 3.23 tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And James 3.2 says we've all stumbled in many ways. We needed a miracle. And it was time to invite the only one into our marriage who could perform such a miracle. And you know who I'm going to raise up here. I'm raising Jesus up here. In John chapter 2, Jesus performed his first miracle where he turned the water into wine. Now, you can leave a glass of water sitting on your kitchen counter it'll never turn to wine you could put a man and a woman in a house for years and they will never achieve unity on their own in order to have water turn into wine and in order for a marriage to have unity between one man and one woman you need to have a creator you need Jesus yes. <laughs> Jesus took something that was tasteless like water and he turned it into something brand new, full of flavor, like wine. And he did this in a home within the context of a marriage. But the miracle in this story is that when the wine ran out, they went and they told Jesus. They didn't tell him how to fix the problem. They just stated that the problem, that there was no more wine. And Mary, Jesus' mother, said, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And as a result, the water was turned into wine, and it was better than it was in the beginning. So that's what we did in our marriage. We offered our marriage to Jesus, and he took it, and he made something brand new and fresh out of it. And now after 42 years, our love for each other is better, and it keeps getting better and better and more wonderful than it was in the beginning. 
but we had to surrender our marriage completely over to Jesus and do whatever he told us to do. And that's why our marriage, it's a miracle. And that's the only reason we're still together. We started praying together and reading his word together. Jesus took our marriage and he gave us something brand new, something better than what it was before. Next slide, Eric. So why are we still together? What binds us together? What did we put into our life box that held enough power and wisdom to bind us together for over 42 years of marriage? And what makes us determined to stay together? How many can guess? <laughs> Next slide, yes. I love hearing that. Can you shout his name? Jesus, absolutely. Jesus is the number one answer, and without him, our marriage would have, last, would have not had lasted. We had to invite him into our marriage and do what he told us to do. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Colossians three fourteen through 15 says, and above all things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Next slide. Our wedding vows are number two. We made a promise according to God's holy ordinance, and we pledged our faith to each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness, and in health, to love and to cherish until death us do part. If we would have quit early on, we would have missed out on better. We would have missed out on love moving to something higher called cherish. We would have missed out, or I would have missed out on what it feels like to have Christ love me through these hands. Through the many times that he's helped me when I've been sick. And we would have missed out on the miracle of marriage, which is the covenant-keeping union of one man and one woman created by God to put on display the love Christ has for the church, his bride, to a lost and dying world. How motivated do you think Satan is to see this picture destroyed? How motivated do you think he is to see your picture destroyed? He's motivated. He's our enemy. He's not my enemy. I'm not his enemy, but we do have an enemy. And we have to stay alert, be alert, and recognize the schemes of the devil. We must put on that full armor of God and fight for our marriages, for the upbuilding of God's kingdom. Our family is number three. God has put such a love into our hearts for our children, our son-in-laws, grandchildren, and we have no words to describe such love. And if we hadn't surrendered our marriage to Jesus, then the legacy we received from our parents would have been the same one that we would have passed down to them. 
But thank God, because of the work Jesus has done in and through our hearts, our children will receive an eternal legacy of faith, blessings instead of cursings. Next slide. We're nearing conclusion. We've just got a couple more slides after this one. Uh, but in closing, we want to stand before you, and we want to pledge that we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, we will. all our soul, and with all our strength. We will hide God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. We will diligently teach these truths to our children and grandchildren so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. I'm standing on it. We will live for God and bring him glory all the days of our lives. And we will spend an eternity with him in heaven. We will receive God's promise that he will show mercy to a thousand generations. This is what binds us together. That life box you see on the screen had the potential to destroy us. Past tense, had the potential to destroy our marriage and the lives of our family, but no more. Only Jesus can turn water into wine. Only Jesus can take two abused, broken people and make them one flesh, one flesh, <laughs> No more twain but one, says Jesus. Praise his name. Jesus is our life. This life box has no power on its own. Apart from Christ, our life has no power on its own. We must be plugged into the one who has power over heaven and earth. We must be deeply rooted in Jesus, stand on his promise, promises, and move forward in his purpose of leaving a legacy of faith onto our children, their children, and their children's children until he comes back to get us. Jesus is the one and only who can break family curses. Amen. But we have to surrender our wills to him. It's hard to forgive people who've hurt us, especially when it's our fathers. But Jesus is saying, if I have forgiven you, of all your sins, also ought you to forgive others of their sins? Let me tell you that forgiveness is not a feeling or emotion. It's a choice. Only Jesus has the power to take that unforgiveness out of our hearts and through the process of forgiveness, change it to freedom, freedom to serve him and freedom to receive his promises and freedom to live with purpose, freedom to bring him glory all the days of our life. But you must choose forgiveness. Tonight, someone in this room may be thinking, if I forgive, you fill in the blank. For me, it would be my father. If I forgive, won't people think I was okay with what he did to me or what she did to me? That's a lie. Straight from the enemy, if you're believing that's that. Satan is the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy your life, but Jesus wants to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. When you choose to walk in unforgiveness because of the shame that you didn't deserve, 
You will never be free. Jesus is the answer. He is the great physician. Only he can heal broken lives. Remember Isaiah 61.3? I'll summarize. Jesus is the only one who can console those who mourn. He is the only one who can change your ashes into beauty. He is the only one who can take off you, off of you the spirit of heaviness and put on you the garment of praise so that we might be called trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Roger and I get to be that first generation to break some family curses and pass on some blessings. And we're getting to see the second generation, Gwen and Chad and Brooke and Adam back here, make the choices to receive these blessings and to also see them take some things out of their lives and to put some things in. And what a blessing, the third generation. We are so blessed to see Allie, Grace, Jacob, and Heidi's life box being filled with so many good things. They too are learning to take some things out and to put some good things in that are good and pleasing to the Lord. This is life, allowing God to each day search our hearts to see if there is anything that is not pleasing to him in it, and then allowing him to cleanse us, to overshadow us with his power, and then to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can walk victoriously in true freedom. To God be given all glory, and I want to raise him up, raise him up. <laughs> In closing, we want to end with a call to the fathers with a clip from Courageous. God bless you. As a law enforcement officer, I've seen firsthand the deep hurt and devastation that fatherlessness brings in a child's life. Our prisons are full of men and women who have lived recklessly after being abandoned by their fathers, wounded by the men who should have loved them the most. Many of these children now follow the same pattern of irresponsibility that their fathers did. While so many mothers have sacrificed to help their children survive, they were never intended to carry the weight alone. We thank God for them. But research is proving that a child also desperately needs a daddy. There's no way around this fact. As you know, earlier this year, my family endured the tragic loss of our nine-year-old daughter, Emily. Her death forced me to realize that not only had I not taken advantage of the priceless time I had with her, but that I did not truly understand how crucial my role was as a father to her and our son, Dylan. Since her passing, I've asked God to show me through his word how to be the father that I need to be. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children. But more than just being there, providing for them, he's to walk with them through their young lives and be a visual representation of the character of God their father in heaven. The father should love his children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them, and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect. 
and should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock it or ignore it. But I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence he has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value, but the souls of your children do. Some men will hear this and agree with it, but have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they will live for themselves and waste the opportunity to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. But there are some men who regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not do for us, will give the strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all that we are and to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, to love and mentor others who have no father in their lives, but who desperately need help and direction. And we are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution. In my home, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family, because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ, because I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? I will. Who will pray for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do? I am their father. I will. I accept this responsibility and it is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and his blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you men of courage? Where are you fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you. And to say, I will. I will. I will. Hey, everybody, just wanted to thank you once again for being with us here in our worship service today and taking the time out, which I know is so valuable to you. God bless you and be encouraged. And remember, Jesus is King.